Welcome to the first episode of 2020. In this one, I have a conversation with professional skateboarder turned videographer, Micah Hollinger. Micah grew up skateboarding with a tight-knit crew in Anchorage, Alaska. At the same time, he was learning his way around a camera, filming everything he could. From skateboarding, to parties, to neighborhood fights, nothing was off limits. Micah's 40 now. He's a videographer, and as far as skateboarding goes, he says that if you want to keep skating as you get older, you have to adapt. Okay, time to give the Crude Company men a shout out. These are the people who have subscribed to the Crude Patreon for $50 or more. Trina Duber, Seward Brewing Company, The Grind Coffee Shop in Juneau, Derek Adolph, Blue and Gold Board Shop, Sharon Liska, and Alaska Surf Adventure. Thank you to all the Patreon subscribers. This podcast wouldn't be possible without you. If you subscribe to the Crude Magazine Patreon, thank you. Your money helps keep these conversations going. So if you enjoy these conversations, you can subscribe at www.patreon.com slash crude magazine. That's patreon.com slash crude magazine. And pick the subscription tier that works for you. Okay, back to Micah Hollinger. If you were skating or snowboarding in Alaska in the 90s and early 2000s, then you're probably familiar with Micah. He's the skater that everyone in Alaska looked up to. He's the guy who hit rails on a skateboard that snowboarders thought were too big. He's one of the guys who showed us that the Alaska snow and skate scene was relevant and could hold its own. Lately, Mike has been working with Jesse Burtner, the creator of Think Think Films, on a documentary about the old borderline Alaska snow and skate days. From the late 1980s to the early 2000s, Borderline was a major figure in the Alaska snow and skate scene. Through interviews and archival footage, Micah and Jesse are working to capture that era. So here he is, Micah Hollinger. <laughs> this red light right here, it means we're recording. Okay, fired up. Crude conversations. Listen more, then you talk. Go to work! I usually have like a little table thing next to the bathtub. And I'll just put like a drink on it or my phone or whatever and listen to music. Dude, that's awesome. Get like a couple candles lit and just hang out in there. Dude, I feel like we have uh, pretty similar bath schedules actually. Really? <laughs> yeah. I'm going to take a bath tonight. We have a bear claw tub in the bathroom. It's so good. Wait, a bear claw tub? What's that? Or a bear foot? Wait, what is it called? Yeah, a bear claw tub. What do you mean? Like the bathtub is shaped like a bear claw? No. Um, let me think. Let me look it up. The feet are like bear claws. Oh, I know what you're talking about, but one of those old school tubs. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, you're lucky. I was second guessing. I was like, wait, what is that? What is it called? No, that's tight, dude. It's nice. Yeah. Yeah. So it's old school, whatever, but it's, it's really nice. All right. Well, welcome to the show, Micah. Thank you. Good to be here. I feel like every time we talk, I'm interviewing you for something. It happens, huh? Every once in a while. Like whether it was for the Crude website or the magazine, and now you're on the podcast. You're you're just evolving as a uh, as a journalist, and I think this is kind of a modern 
journalism, maybe? We're just talking like we're in the same room. It's pretty, pretty advanced, I think. Especially the quality of the audio that, uh, you know, the final product of this will just be, I mean, it'll be amazing. Yeah. Considering we're so far away from each other. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. So, how have you been? I've been good, dude. How have you been? I'm good. Just busy yeah. doing these weekly conversations. And then also I have a part-time job. Where at? Uh, it's this spot called Alaska Teen Media. So basically what I do every day is teach teenagers journalism. So whether it's, you know, they come in and they want to work on documentary work or whether they want to do a radio story or whatever. And uh, me along with uh, a couple other youth mentors just help out. No way. That's rad. Yeah, it's super rad. Whoa. All right. So I was going through your Instagram this morning and I noticed you have a lot of skate clips on there. How often are you able to get out there and skate still? Not too much. Like probably once a week. That's still pretty often though. Yeah. It's a decent amount. I mean, I'd like to do a little bit more, but just life, work, stuff like that. It's going to get in the way sometimes. Do you find that you're still like trying tricks? Yeah, it's like half and half. Half the time I'm like trying to figure out old tricks I used to do. Mm-hmm. And half the time I'm trying to figure out new tricks. So I'm just kind of like, I think adapting to getting older maybe too. Because when I go to a spot, I'm not like, what's the biggest thing here I can skate? You know what I mean? I, I just want to figure out what I can skate and just have fun on it. Whether it's like a three inch high curb or maybe it is stairs or whatever. But usually it's like a little bit smaller these days. And what do you mean by kind of your age affecting you? Um, well, my back's pretty wrecked from years of slamming into the concrete. <laughs> so I, I don't like to jump downstairs too much anymore. If I do, I'm usually like going to skate the rail or hubba or something. But um, So you just kind of adapt. If you want to keep skating, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You can't hold yourself to the same standards that you were skating 15, 20 years ago because you I'd be in the hospital every other week. You know what I mean? If I try to skate like that still. Yeah. So you just like, if you want to keep going, a lot of people just quit. They're like, I can't skate. You know, I have good friends. They're like, it's embarrassing. I can't skate like I used to. And I'm like, just enjoy what you can. Take your standards to a different place. And then you'll still be happy riding your board. Because that's what we like love in the first place, being on the board, you know, Mm -hmm. or me at least. Did it take you any amount of time to kind of come to that conclusion? Like, I'd rather just skate rather than not skate. Not really, actually. I kind of just always was like, I don't know, evolving with my board and with my tricks or whatever. And okay, I'm going to skate like this. Like uh, today, I don't feel it hurt. So I'm going to do like a pole jam that's like low impact or no complies or whatever. It, it wasn't like a conscious thing. It was just like the evolving with my body and my board, I guess. It sounds kind of weird to say out loud, but any skateboarder who like you've watched for a long time, I'm not putting myself in the same boat as like Jeff Riley by any means, but like if you watch him skate, you're like, oh, 20 years ago he's doing giant rails, but now he's getting older, so he's skating ditches, and it's just how you evolve to to be able to keep doing it. He can't skate a 20 stair rails. Maybe he could, I don't know, but like I can't. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's just, yeah. it's just, uh, I think how you have to do that. I don't know. It's weird. 
Well, I think you kind of said it earlier is, is you evolve, right? You yeah. evolve to your circumstances. Yeah. I was going to mention your, your style and the types of tricks that you've always gravitated toward kind of lends itself to that, right? Because, I mean, you can go big, you can do big stuff. You've always been able to do that, but then you can also do like real fun, techie, smaller stuff. Yeah. I think, uh, thank you, first of all. <laughs> uh, I, I think that's just part of it. I think at one point I just decided I didn't want to do any like regular skateboard tricks anymore because it was kind of boring. Like I would do, I've done a thousand kickflips in my life, a million, I don't know how many, but at some point I, I want to do a kickflip and land weird with my feet or something, you know what I mean? Yeah. So you just, you just keep changing with it, I guess, in order to keep it fun. Because it's not fun to jump down a 20 stair anymore. I'll tell you that. At any point, was it fun to jump down a 20 stair? Yeah, definitely. And land, you know, with that impact? Yeah, because they're... The uh, repercussions were so much bigger than a small stair set that uh-huh. you get a a bigger set, like more satisfaction when you land a big one. So if if I go into this trick thinking, okay, if I mess up, I'm going to get really hurt and not be able to skate for a long time, it's a, a more satisfying feeling to land it because you're like, all right, I got out of it. I survived, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty weird to think about now. But. Yeah, yeah. Do you think that, that comes from just being young or do you think it, it comes from um, being involved in a sport and everything's kind of just new? I think it, it's like the need for progression kind of. Mm-hmm. That sounds weird too. I don't know. Uh, at some point I just wanted to skate the biggest obstacles I could find. Whatever city I was in, I was like, I'd just look for, I'd drive around. Okay. Here's the biggest thing I can, I can find that's possible. And then just try to figure out a way down it. And that was just like, like anybody, like, you, you know, snowboarding too is the same thing. Personal progression. Mm-hmm. Like last week I did a 540. Well, I'm hungry. Now I want a 720. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sure you, you had a lot of that snowboarding too, you know? Yeah, for sure. And I think the reason I asked that question is because now kind of where I am when I'm, uh, when I have the opportunity to go snowboard, you know, maybe I'll have like a few tricks that I want to do. Like, oh, I want to do you know, a backflip and then a 360 and then a, a 540 or 720. But that's kind of where it stops for me now, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I don't, I don't have any like inclination to do a 900 or a 1080, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like <laughs> to I, scare I'm, yourself. I don't have any inclination to scare myself. Exactly. And I don't, I don't know whether that's just because I'm older and I'm more like cognizant of like, my mortality. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're still young though, aren't you? I'm 31. You could you could still get inverted? Yeah, I could. Yeah, I, I, it's funny because it's like, I mean, it's like one of my like things that I just, it makes me feel good, you know? And I think it's probably selfish. Like, <laughs> like snap I, your fingers, still got it. Yeah, exactly. Like I could still, you know, turn a few heads, I guess. <laughs> That's pretty impressive going upside down, I think. Well, I mean, when you look at, some of the kids snowboarding. I mean, I mean, even skateboarding, honestly, skateboarding. And maybe it's because there's this, uh, there's this distance between me and skateboarding. You know, I've never been like, I could do a few tricks that I was like personally stoked on, but I was never like good by any means. But in snowboarding, I could look at somebody who I considered good and 
be like, oh, I could probably do that trick or like some variation of that trick. Yeah. And and so uh, skateboarding where it's at now, like I don't know how often like you're blown away by the clips on Instagram. Every day. Every day. It's crazy. I, I, I don't envy anyone who's trying to make it in the skateboard world right now. It's just cutthroat. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? These dudes are like killing themselves. It's so much different than it used to be. Yeah, like things that were big 15 or 20 years ago are like a warm-up for the kids now. Yeah. It's insane. It's fun to watch them and see the progression. It, like, And they're training. Kids are training now. Mm-hmm. Like actual athletes, which is smart. If you, In our day, they'd been laughed out of the, laughed out of hand you. You know what I mean? For sure. But like, but now it's just, it makes sense because it's so hard on your body. Like, work out. Figure this out. I have that same thought whenever I so I follow Nyjah Houston and that dude is so unbelievably good. Oh my god. But gosh. his his outfits are ridiculous. Yeah. I mean he looks like a yoga instructor. Yeah. He wears spandex a lot, doesn't he? he oh yeah. No, I mean like he exclusively wears spandex. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty crazy. I feel like uh see I'm scared of spandex first of all because I know I'm going to like them and I'm going to like skating them. <laughs> and it, it, I'm telling you, like, I will not put a pair on because I know I'm going to like them. And I don't want to like them. <laughs> I don't want to walk around town in spandex. It's, I can't do it. But I bet you anything, they help you skate better. Oh, I bet. Yeah. <laughs> They've got to. they got to be more aerodynamic. Yeah. Or else just why? Just don't, you know, don't do it. Okay. So it sounds like you're scared to wear spandex, but like. Can you see in the future where maybe you have like this lapse in like personal judgment and you just try them on? I don't know. I don't think so. Because I'll, I promise you, if I put some on tonight, I'll be at the skate park in a week wearing them. (laughs) You'll be laughing, like laughing at me or something. And I just, I don't want to go through that. You'd probably fit in, though. I know they're... Yeah, right? Kids are like, nice ones, man. This blue lemon or whatever. (laughs) Your butt looks great today. (laughs) So it seems like uh, skating has been one of, if not the most consistent thing in your life. At what point did you seriously start considering yourself a skater? Day one, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Um... Yeah, right away, actually. A couple days in, I think, I like, once I learned how to ollie, which was, yeah, the first day or whatever, then I think I went to Borderline, like, the next day and bought, like, a like a fresh Jive t-shirt or something crazy. And then that's, you know, that was it. That was, like, you wanted to, I wanted to be defined as a skateboarder at that point. Because before that, I was doing sports, so I had, like, a sport jersey or whatever I was wearing. But I just knew it was for me. I was like, I want to do this every day forever. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I consider myself one, like, pretty soon after starting. Right? Isn't that, that's about how it goes, right? What's that? I was going to ask how it went for you, but you were, like, born into it, so you didn't have a choice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't have a choice at <laughs> all. Like, I was yeah. just <laughs> you are a snowboarder and a skateboarder, whether you yeah, like it or you're, not. You're not wearing spandex. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you had, like, blind diapers or something. Little mini uh, baby Burton boots. Yeah. That's funny. When I think about being a skater, you know, like when you were coming up, I always think about like kind of the uh, 
the animosity between certain groups in school, mm. certain school groups. So you had like the jocks who were kind of against the skaters and you had like these different factions just kind of like warring against each other. That doesn't exist anymore. It doesn't? No, no. Because skateboarding is cool. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But there's still like groups in school, I'm sure, different different scenes, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, I just think that uh, kids are nicer to each other now. Really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, like, like I said, I, you know, I, I work with, with uh, youth. I work with teenagers. And, you know, the nerds hang out with the jocks and, you know, the skaters hang out. Yeah, like everybody's hanging out with everybody for the most part. But do you think it's like that where you're at because it's like a specialty school? But we also go to schools and we do presentations and, we, oh. you know, we, we talk to students and we, you know, the students that come in here, we talk to them about or they talk to us about, you know, their experience at school. And, you know, I've talked to to friends my age who have like nephews and nieces and stuff that are teenagers and you know, they ask him similar questions. Yeah. It's like, we, you know, how do you feel about the jocks or how do you feel about the skaters? Like, what are you talking about, uncle? You crazy person. <laughs> like, everyone's just. What do you mean, old man? <laughs> yeah, exactly. What was it like when you were, <laughs> when you were going Back to school? Back in my day, we got beat up for doing this shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, do you have any do you have any stories from back in high school? Like you said that you've kind of taken on this identity as a skater and, you know, walking in with your your brand new fresh drive t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> um it wasn't bad because I played hockey still when I was skateboarding at the start. So hockey players like on my team and stuff would like make fun of me. I'd bring my like, board into the locker room for some reason to <laughs> I don't know why but uh maybe to show them that i was skateboarding i guess i don't i haven't thought about that in a long time but so they'd give me shit but it was like kind of endearing like skater fag or like whatever but they were they weren't like really actually mean about it they were just kind of ribbing you yeah yeah so i don't know but other than that i mean there was definitely out in the wild you get it more i think like you you know like we'd be a hand chewer Abbott, like some schools in Anchorage, just skateboarding on like whatever they had there. And kids would come by like uh, the football kid or whatever, sports kids and uh, try to pick on us or whatever. It was kind of a, it's kind of a thing for a while, but it was, it wasn't like that many times. I don't think it happened. I think they learned their lesson after a few times of doing that. They realized that we were holding basically like a weapon, you know, <laughs> our skateboard. If you hold it by the truck, it's, a deadly weapon, you know? So they kind of stopped that pretty quickly, I feel like. Yeah, they watched the movie Kids. Yeah, yeah. That scene was crazy. Yeah, it was. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Some kid in San Francisco, I think like a year or so ago, got into a conflict with a security guard. I don't know if you heard that. And smashed him with a board just like that. And that security guard had brain damage. And that kid's going to prison for a while, actually. No way. Yeah, pretty heavy. Yeah, so... People listening to this don't hit other people with skateboard trucks. Yeah. Well, that's what happened. They charged that kid in San Francisco. It was like assault with a deadly weapon because at that point, it becomes this heavy weapon and this heavy metal truck is just smashing into someone's skull. I mean, yeah, people die like that. It's crazy. Dude, that's wild. Yeah. Okay. So instead of having you kind of tell your origin story by just answering my questions, I thought it would be more fun to tell it through stories. So, Wait, 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 wait. Right before we start this, 
Um, when is this gonna air? This will be either next week or the week after. Because if it's gonna air on Christmas, we should sing a Christmas song. Do you want to do a Christmas song? <laughs> I think we should do a Christmas song. You want to sing it? I mean, you and I, yeah, we sing it. Yeah, what song do you want to sing? I, I have a pretty <laughs> shitty voice for singing, dude. I do, too. I do too, but I just thought of this earlier, because if it airs on Christmas, wouldn't that be cool if people are listening to it, drinking eggnog, and they're like, you're not singing? I'm down, yeah. I, I always like trying new stuff on the podcast. But just out of curiosity, is it going to air on Christmas Day? I am not sure. I kind of wasn't planning on it. Okay, so maybe we could still do the song. Yeah, we can totally do the song still. Okay. <laughs> okay, and then we'll go into the, the story time. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay. Do you want to do you want to start? Well, what's your favorite Christmas song? Um, let's see. I don't know. I feel like I, I like Hark the Herald Angels. Dude, or what are they called? <laughs> you're going for it. That's like a heavy Heavy, it yeah. Is? Okay, what are you thinking? I can't hit some of those soprano notes out of the hark. The okay, um, yeah, I can't hit any of them. I was thinking more like a little bit lower on the scale of a difficulty. Like, let's just do how about we wish you a Merry Christmas? Oh, yeah, I feel like that's pretty standard, yeah, and it's not long. Oh, you want to do the whole song? <laughs> oh, no, maybe we should just do let's just do the first verse. Okay. So Google that and we'll just do the first verse. Does it start off with uh, good tidings we bring to you? No. Uh, or for you? Just we wish you a merry that one. Okay. Okay. Right, how about we just do that? How about we just do those four lines? Yeah. 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 Okay. You ready? Yeah. Okay. We're going to start. We're going to start at the same time. All right. One, two, three, shoot. We wish you a Merry, Merry Christmas. Christmas. We, we wish, wish you a Merry Christmas. <laughs> we wish you. <laughs> so I'm doing we... the whole, I'm doing the legwork here. Okay. We wish. <laughs> I can't do it. I can't okay. do it. And a happy new, new year. year. Nailed it, dude. We nailed it. Nailed it. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> this is going to be the weirdest podcast. <laughs> Okay, so back to the stories, right? Okay. Okay, so your origin story. Yeah. I thought it would be more fun to tell it through stories. So so I was texting our buddy Ant Black this morning to see if he had any questions for you, but instead he just gave me phrases and short sentences. So, <laughs> so I'm going to throw some phrases and short sentences at you one by one. I don't think they're in chronological order, so we might be kind of skipping around. Okay. Okay, so the first one is beatdowns and shit. Oh, wow. Um, you know what's crazy? Let me just start out with this. So, Burton and I are working on this documentary. I think I might have hit you up about it, about Alaska back in the day. During this era, I stumbled onto like an hour of footage of you, Woody Angle, and Jesse Burtner trample boarding, trampoline boarding. Yeah, where was it? I think it was in Gus and Woody's backyard. I don't know if I was there or not, though. I, I don't know who filmed it. About how old? You look like you were like twelve, maybe. Oh, so this is a long time ago. Yeah, but I think you were throwing backies, dude. Still doing backies. backies. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty crazy watching through this old footage. But anyway, 
back to the beatdown thing, I found some of this old footage. So way back in the day, I used to just film everything. And, you know, people, kids are crazy, whatever. Kids would fight and do crazy things. More so for us skateboarders in the winter, just things got kind of weird. And I compiled this tape of fights, beatdowns and shit, <laughs> and onto a VHS tape. And then we'd all watch it, all the friends. And then it's leaked out into other friend groups. And it, like, kind of went, like, viral, I guess, before that was, like, a thing. Like, all these different people had it. it there's, like, a waiting list. Like, yo, can I get that beatdowns tape? Like, people are, like, would borrow it for a week and bring it back and give it to a friend of a friend of a friend. And it was just, just children punching each other at, <laughs> uh, like, skate spots a lot of time or just wherever. There was nothing, like, super violent, but it was, it was pretty weird to watch that again recently. You still have it? Yeah, I found it on, like, a uh, high 8 tape. No way. I don't know who has the actual VHS tape, but there was an actual VHS tape that floated around Anchorage that just said that on the front. Like I wrote it in like marker, like beatdowns and shit. So what are some of the highlights? The high, I mean, it was all just like weird. There was like a girl fight, which was uh pretty uh, kind of rare, I guess. So everyone was into that one. <laughs> I feel like I've seen bits and pieces of this video when i was it's younger crazy it's so crazy like dudes like knocking each other out and stuff and it was really weird how often did you watch this video like when you guys were kids every once in a while i didn't watch it often because i like was there for most of it but people like seemed to like it it was really weird it was like everyone saw it in our town it was really weird what made you film these it was just because you were filming everything right yeah yeah Everything like every there was so many times where I'm watching this footage recently and people are like why are you film this Mike and I was like that's what I do I don't know I'm just <laughs> somebody will want to see it later and twenty thirty or however long later I'm watching this twenty years later it's just crazy hearing someone it still sometimes happens why are you film this Mike I'm like I just like to film. Do you think that you'll ever? I mean, you have the tape, right? Do you think you will ever release it? That stuff, no. I mean, maybe like, maybe a blip, if it comes up in, in the Alaskan dock, maybe throw a blip in there, but I don't want to like, like shame anyone, you know what I mean? Because it's kind of, for sure, yeah, it's kind of evil. I just know I wouldn't want anyone putting footage of me out where I was just looking like that back then. So I wouldn't do that. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, every kid nowadays. Uh, they don't have that option, right? Because it's just immediately uploaded to some server, you know, whether yeah. it's Snapchat or whether it's Facebook. Like that's probably maybe one of two max, you know, copies of that that you have. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, nowadays if someone gets in a fist fight, like everyone just sees it right away within yeah, an it's hour. On CNN. Or, yeah, or what is it? World star hip hop or whatever. Oh, yeah. <laughs> world star hip hop. <laughs> world star, world star. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So the second one is, and I feel like the first one kind of uh, overlaps this a little bit, but it's the circle. Oh, yeah. Um, so I grew up in a cul-de-sac in Anchorage, Alaska, and we there were no skate parks at the time, so we would just build ramps. My good buddy Aaron Belke lived next door, and shout out Aaron Belke. Um, 
and we just build little ramps, little boxes, launch, like whatever, just to skate on. And we just always had that stuff out in the cul-de-sac. And it was our own little like, kind of like skate park, I guess, and kind of learned how to skate there, or I did at least. Mm-hmm. And but yeah, there were fights in the circle sometimes. There'd be like 40, 50 kids after school piled up watching people punch each other. It's kind of <laughs> weird to think about now. I like your description of this video and it's kids punching each other. Yeah, right. <laughs> Let's just break it down. Here's what it is. Okay, so the third one is the penthouse. Penthouse? Uh oh. Yeah, our buddy Chris, uh, and Callie, their mom had this penthouse in downtown Anchorage. And we used to hang out there, like party in like this big old haunted penthouse, and we'd drink forties up there and just hang out or whatever. And uh, yeah, we'd see like ghosts every once in a while or whatever. It was weird. I guess we saw ghosts. I don't know. Do you have any stories? Um, well, there was like an elevator that came up to the penthouse, and at like four in the morning, the elevator would just move up on its own and open because that was when. It used to be like an f- underground casino back in the day. But like one time I remember we were in the room, a bunch of us, and uh, like a drawer, a dresser drawer just opened on its own. It was just like, and Evan like dove into a corner. <laughs> we, there was like 10 of us and we dogpiled into the corner and we're all trying to get to the bottom of the pile because that was like the safest place to be. <laughs> like we're digging, like trying to get underneath each other. It was so crazy. I don't know. It doesn't seem real thinking about it, but I remember seeing it and it was like, we were like, oh my gosh. What was in the drawer? I don't remember. I don't remember actually. I want to say it was empty. Because if there's one thing I know about ghosts is they're trying to be set free. So maybe it was trying to give you clues on how to set it free and you guys just ran away. Oh yeah. Like there's like his shoes were in there and he like, let me out. Put on my shoes and let me go. Yeah, exactly. All you need to do is put on some shoes. <laughs> Wait, have you seen a ghost? Uh, let's see if I've ever seen it. Okay, so there was, I don't know whether I actually saw a ghost, but there was a period of time where I was reading a lot of like occult books and I read this book called The Demonologist. And it's still to this day, like the gnarliest book that I've ever read. And so this book, uh, it was printed originally by just some like college press, right? Like it wasn't Penguin Publishing or anything like that. Okay. And I ordered it off Amazon when I was in college. And it it was like, like the crappiest book that was obviously printed by a small like publishing house, right? Yeah. And what it was, it was uh, an anthology of stories from these two demonologists, like this married couple, the Warrens, which the uh, the Conjuring series, like that whole like franchise is based off of, right? Annabelle, all that stuff. But they were real people. And so um, this guy, I think his name's like Greg or Gerard Brittle. Now that I'm thinking, it's all coming back. But uh I read that book. It was like the last like occult book that I was like, all right, I'm going to learn about this stuff. I don't know why. And, you know, when you have all that stuff in your head and then you start like kind of manifesting it yourself. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know whether it was that. And it was just, it wasn't like specific situations. It was just kind of like 
everything. You know, you kind of have this like looming darkness feeling all the time. I mean, it's all, it's all pretty dark and like not, not very healthy. And so, uh, I don't read those books anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Sketchy. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I get what you're saying though. You kind of, maybe you're looking for it a little bit more. You're like, I think I saw something move out of the corner of my eye. Cause it's like on your mind maybe. Yeah. And you start drawing conclusions like maybe where they aren't there. Like that movie 23 with Jim Carrey. <laughs> I never saw that. I, I can't think of a, a specific situation, but he's like connecting all of these like disconnected events, you know, with numbers. Huh. Okay. So the next one is tape to tape homie edits. I feel like these are all kind of in conjunction with each other. Like, uh, same thing. Yeah. I would do tape. I would, cause I was always filming everybody and everything. So I'd make little, yeah. Homie, edit. like that beat downs video was a tape to tape edit. So I'd take like two VCRs and record from one VCR onto the next one. So that, that trick was there and then find another trick and then hit record on the other VCR and record it. So it was a sketchy ass like compilation, mm-hmm. like of these little like videos we were making back then. They didn't look good by any means they were like vhs or uh, later on they would be high eight but they started out with vhs tapes and they were just like pretty hard to watch when you take a moment and think about it does it ever like blow your mind how far editing and filming have come yeah every day i'm like (laughs) film something on my phone i have like an editing program on my phone i can like do titles and slow mos and i can just text it to somebody like an hour later it's insane yeah put put music in it's it's pretty cool it's cool to have lived through because i i appreciate it i think more to have lived through the tape tape stuff instead of just starting out with digital you know what i mean for sure yeah so i don't know if you remember tim davis timbo yeah he used to work at borderline uh he's a good buddy of mine but i was talking to him actually earlier today so he's actually working on a a short video series from uh, he recently found a because he's moving. So he recently found this uh, snowboard boot box full of like 30 different like mini DV and high eight tapes full of like old borderline camp footage and and northern border TV like interviews and edits and things like that. And so Shit. so he said that he's got this uh, this video camera that he has to like physically hold because it's broken uh broken enough to the to the point where like the door on it doesn't shut all the way or something and so he's got to manually hold it you know as we were talking we were just like remembering kind of where we came from with like video cameras and everything everything like that and the editing process and how much longer it took and you know how much more precise we needed to be with shots and things like that because we didn't have unlimited memory it is way different yeah it was different it was just and, and a lot of time you just watch it with your friend like this footage you're talking about with tim probably no one's ever seen it mm-hmm. you know what i mean there was no social media if it didn't make it into the like borderline video that year or whatever no one's gonna see it mm-hmm. it's a home movie that's in a shoebox like he exactly what he found that's crazy yeah that's rad though he's he's making a series out of it yeah yeah he has this series called rocket boosters that's online and it's it's kind of like his uh kind of video journal dedicated to his daughter 
And so he's going to do rocket boosters. And I think the, the subhead will be rocket boosters, the boot box or something like cool. that. I like and that. yeah, dude, it's going to be, it's going to be super rad. But I was actually telling him about your documentary that, uh, that you're working on. Yeah. It sounds like we should collaborate. Hit me with that link. I want to see his show, Rocket Booster. That sounds cool. What was his last name? Uh, Davis. D-A-V-I-S. Yeah, I remember yeah. Timbo. It's one and the same. Okay. <laughs> Timbo is Tim Davis. <laughs> I don't remember Tim Davis, but the other guy, Timbo. <laughs> That's rad. I definitely want to check that out. Yeah, I'm doing the same thing. I'm just digging through old tapes right now, and it's just wild. Because they're like, there's like whole days of life that I just don't remember happening at all. Like, no, I don't remember being at this spot. I remember saying hi to the person, shaking his hand, like anything. And just watching it, like, what? This is weird. It just unlocks all these different feelings. Like, I, was, I think I was kind of a dick back then, maybe a little bit. Not a dick, but, like, I didn't have as much, like, compassion. Like, now if I saw somebody fighting, I would just, like, hey, you guys, don't do that. Back then, I was like, hell yeah. Let me film this. <laughs> just egging it on? <laughs> I wouldn't go that far, but, like, I was definitely interested in filming it to, to show people later, to see later. and. Now I'm, I'm I wouldn't I wouldn't enjoy that. You know what's what's super interesting about that is one thing that uh, Tim was telling me is that he's all I I don't know if I liked myself then. You know, like I mean, I, I don't think I like young Tim Davis. Yeah. And and what I was telling him is, you know, I don't know how often you have to listen to your own voice or watch videos of yourself but me personally i have been recording my interviews whether they're for magazine articles or now the podcast um for over 10 years and so i had to get over that like self-loathing you know yeah 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 <laughs> like like pretty quickly and um i've learned to be a lot kinder to my younger self you really? know so what i was telling tim i was like you need to be nicer to young tim you know yeah because because he was he was just figuring things out, and, and that's that's coming from a personal place. Because I've had to tell myself that same thing. So I think I'll tell you the same thing: is <laughs> you know you need to be nicer to young Micah. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. I was talking to my lady about that the other day, and she said, "I was like, well, even some of my other buddies, I was like, yeah, we were kind of dicks back then." And my lady's like, "You need to let that go. You need to like forgive yourself for whatever." Because I'll see some footage and I'm like, get kind of bummed or whatever. I'm still going to make the doc regardless. But like sometimes it kind of bumps me out a little bit. I'm like, whoa, that was kind of weird. But she's like, you just need to let that go and forgive yourself. You're a different person. And the fact that you can see that you were kind of weird or whatever back then just proves that you've grown as, as a person. Exactly. Uh, hopefully for the better. But I don't know. You know, I think, um, let's see. A nice way to put this. I mean, a way that I, I don't come off like I'm calling anybody out or calling my my dad out. So I don't think that my dad was very like uh, cognizant of the way that he was interpreted by his kids, right? Like he was yeah. he was just living in the present. And I think that there's an entire generation, uh, maybe multiple generations that are like that or that were like that. And I think that the fact that we're even sitting here talking about our younger selves and how we wished we were nicer, I think is a big step in the right direction, right? Yeah, I think so. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what else to say about that. It's 
it's just weird watching old footage and i'm sure you're doing these podcasts you're like well i said that you know yeah. but it's <laughs> as editors we can uh dictate what happens in these podcasts and videos so sounds kind of weird but you know what i mean i'm not going to put something in that's going to bum me out or bum somebody else out so there it is well i think that you would be more you have more self-awareness now than you yeah. you used to so if you were to film something nowadays you are much less likely to be embarrassed by it yeah 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 for sure so you've mentioned a few times the documentary that you're working on yeah i'm not trying to just plug it or whatever but just because it's like a part of my life right now and we're talking about these old videos and that's the reason I'm watching all these old videos. It's because of that. So what can you tell me about the documentary? Um well, I'm working out with Burtner, Jesse Burtner, as some of you might know. And my lady, Erin. And um what can I tell you? It's just gonna be kind of about the scene back then in Alaska, the borderline and all the videos and just how kind of special it was uh, for everyone and how it kind of shaped a lot of people's lives. And um, yeah, it's cool. I've been working on it for, I don't know how long, seven, eight months, maybe more than that. I probably interviewed like five or six people so far, just chatting. And are these, these are video interviews, right? Yeah, yeah. And so it sounds like you're kind of mixing new footage with archival footage. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it'll just be just kind of a representation of, hopefully, of uh, what we were living back then. Mm -hmm. So mostly like a lot of Jesse Burtner because he was a staple in the scene back there, back then. And we want to talk to a bunch of the guys. And, uh, oh, and we don't have a name for it yet. So if anyone has any ideas, put them in the comments below. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as I was writing these, these questions down for the documentary, I was just kind of thinking about passion projects or even projects that I've personally worked on where I'm trying to figure out like, all right, this is a, like this multifaceted like subject Mm -hmm. where, I mean, there's like a thousand different places I could start. So as far as like the narrative you want to tell, what are you and Bertner or how did you decide what story you wanted to tell within that kind of like larger narrative? Um, We just kind of had it in our heads. And then every time we meet up, we just keep moving forward. And I think we finally have a solid like foundation, I guess, where I will be kind of narrating slash we're just going to go to each of the main subjects that we need to cover and just talk to them and just see what they're up to in their lives because everyone's lives are so different back then. It was all about just film for this borderline video and that's all that matters, you know, make it happen. Mm -hmm. And, and that kind of got, how do I say it? That kind of got us into filming mode, but now everyone's grown up and changed so much. So it's just going to be interesting to like visit all these different people. So you'll be introducing people, kind of mixing in archival footage yeah. of of those people as well? Yeah, yeah. And then showing their lives now. Just, I uh, can't remember what the style of doc is called. What do you do that? It's called 
my little brain. I can't think of it. <laughs> it's like a documentary style. Um, yeah, I can't think of it. Anyway, but it's just going to be just kinda raw and real. Just us just talking about, okay, like today, what? let's go visit, blah, blah, blah. And then we go there and visit them and talk to them about their lives and about what that era meant to them and how it affected how they live their lives today. And Yeah. Is it expository? Not really. Observational? I looked up documentary genres. Um, no. Participatory? Performance? No. Interview? Dramatization? Poetic? Poet. It's a poetic documentary. Yes. <laughs> Dude, it's going to be beautiful. <laughs> it's a beautiful poetic. Maybe we just call it Poetry in Motion, starring Jesse Bertner <laughs> and, and Cody Liska. And the Tupac hologram. Yes. Yeah, he'll be in it for sure. We'll interview him. <laughs> okay, so kind of going back to skating here for a second. I had Ben Bogart on the podcast, and he told me a story of hitting the Lawler Event Center ledge at... I listened to that. That was rad. Uh, dude, sweet. <laughs> so you are... Or I wanted to see if you could tell... Uh, your story behind hitting that ledge because you hit it on a skateboard before he hit it on a snowboard. I thought so. I did it first, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually texted Bertner today and he looked into it and yes, you hit it first. Kind of thought so. Yeah. You asked me that earlier and I said, pretty sure my story's not nearly his story was rad, but mine's not as interesting. So I tried it. I was roaming around Reno uh, looking for the biggest skate spots I could find. I think I was living in San Francisco. I don't remember where I was living at the time. But I was there, and I found that ledge, and I was like, oh, man, I could do this. I got up to it, and it was really, really tall, and I was like, oh, all right. Well, so I started trying it, got kicked out, tried it like six months later, got hurt, and then I went there with Jason Borkstead, actually. Borkstead was filming. It was... Uh, Super Bowl Sunday whenever Janice or Janet Jackson's boob fell out and it, we got a good session because it's the Super Bowl and I think everyone was watching it and I remember we had walkie talkie because it was a bust. You've been to that school, right? You used to live in Reno. Yeah, I went to that school. Yeah, okay. You know, well, it's a bust for sure. So this particular day we got walkie talkies and then my buddy... And I just looked it up. It was 2004, the Super Bowl. 2004. Okay, cool. Perfect. That's easy. We got walkie-talkies, and I had my buddy Sasha around the corner with a walkie-talkie, and he'd be like, cop, cop, cop. And I'd go run and hide behind the bushes till the cop. All right, coast is clear. But then, like, I was slamming trying to get down this ledge, and I broke my walkie, so I just had to bail, just say, screw it, and just keep trying it. And somehow I just, like, held on. And then we went, Borkstead and I went ate at uh, some casino. And I think we saw that Janet Jackson boob thingy. That's how, just how I remember. That's kind of cool that I can like remember the day. Otherwise, I wouldn't remember the year, the day, anything. But um, that was fun. I don't remember what Borkstead was doing in town, but it was cool to just like link up with him and still be filming like all those years later, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's my story. Sorry, it's not as good as Bogart's. No, no, dude. So I mean, <laughs> how many how many tries did it take you? It took a lot. I don't know the exact number, but I tried it for like probably a year and a half before I finally got it. Like, because I didn't live there, I'd just go there, and every time I was there, I'd try it. 
that's super interesting to have that dedication to a spot where, like you said, it took you a year, you know, and you just kept coming back to it. So was it just kind of like at a certain point, all right, I'm going to Reno. Oh, I'm going to try that ledge a few times. Or was the purpose of going there to hit the ledge? Um, It was both, I think. I would go there to hang out and whatever. And then, or I guess mainly to do the ledge. Uh, because it was just so, it was, I think it was huge. It's like 20 flat 20. Yeah, it's it's a ridiculous ledge. Yeah, and at the time I couldn't find anything bigger than that. So I just knew I had to figure out how to land it. You had to conquer it. I had to conquer it, man. I had to do it. <laughs> but it was, it was a good feeling for sure. When I got it, I was really happy. And Ant said, I definitely need to ask you about Staples Center. Um, I was living in LA and it's a big old ledge, Jeff Rowley 50 50. And I think at the time that was all that had been done on it. And I didn't like skating in LA at all. Back to like, I want to skate the biggest thing I can find. That was a pretty big obstacle. So I would always just go skate that and just try whatever I could down it. And it's funny you say that because for my birthday, my lady got like a magazine cover for doing that or whatever trick on it. My lady like blew it up and framed it, and it's on the wall in our bedroom. <laughs> so I'm That's staring, awesome. So I'm like staring at it right now. Oh, for real? Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> it's I didn't even realize that, but I'm just like looking at that ledge right now. That's so weird. Um, so what was that battle like? That was pretty heavy too. Well, I did a few tricks on it, but the one that I did a 180 nose grind on it that got me like the most like love or whatever. But I tried it one day. Didn't land it, got kicked out. And then I remember going back and my good buddy Jerry Smythe was in town. I mean, Jerry is stronger than me. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but he's a, he's a buffalo guy, you know what I mean? Um, no, that, that's a good little tidbit of information in, in this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Jerry is stronger than Micah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and there's this big cement trash can at the bottom of the thing. So. When, when it was time to go skate it that day, I said, only because sometimes you go and skate something big or probably snowboarding too. You can, like, all of a sudden, like 10 people want to go because they just want to watch. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want that. I said, I only want Jerry there. I want my buddy Keith to shoot the photo. And I want anybody in the world to film it. I don't care if I'm still. So my buddy Keith is shooting the photo. Jerry is there to move the cement trash can at the bottom of the ledge. Because he's all buff. Because he's stronger than me. <laughs> 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 So he dragged the cement trash can away from it and uh, I like no slid it pretty easily and then uh, just did a little one a nose grind and then somehow uh, got on the cover. You know what's crazy? Jerry got the cover of Thrasher and the photographer sent this picture of the one a nose grind to Thrasher and they're like, boom, we want to use that as a cover. And they're like, but not this month. This month we're giving it to Kerchart. And the photographer's like, send it back. I want it to run this month. So they sent him the slides back when slides were happening. They sent him the slide back uh-huh. and he sent it over to Big Brother. And they're like, boom, we'll, we'll run it this month. So then it was like on newsstands, like back when newsstands were a thing. It was on newsstands uh, in downtown, in LA, and like a few weeks later. So I got to like. Do you know if this was before or after Penthouse bought Big Brother? It was Larry Flint. No, Larry Flint owned it at that time. Or what did I say? 
Well, I think they owned a magazine called Hustler. Or they had a oh, bunch. you're right. It was Hustler. Yeah. Hustler bought it. Yeah. yeah. Larry Flint. Yeah. Hustler did own it when I was on the cover. Dang. What was Larry, that like? Larry Flint. Um, it was whatever. Yeah. I, I didn't like meet the guy or anything. It was just kind of like, actually when Larry- You're not best friends with Larry Flint now? No. I haven't seen him in years. <laughs> um, I haven't seen him in years. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's funny because the magazine actually got like a, quite a bit more tame when he bought it. I mean, he was like the bad boy of the magazine world. And, so they expected it was going to get crazy, and he kind of tamed tamed it down a little bit. Mm-hmm. There's a doc about that magazine on Hulu called uh, "Dumb." Is it dumb? Did you see it? Yeah, I it saw good, it. Yeah, right? I loved it. Yeah, yeah. I I um. Do you remember reading Big Brother in Borderline? Yeah, definitely. It was epic. Um, it was it was amazing. I mean, it was like we had fingerboards and we had. Big Brother magazine. Yeah. And those were like the things that I remember specifically doing at Borderline when I was a kid because, you know, Big Brother, you weren't supposed to read. No, yeah. I mean, I shouldn't I shouldn't say that. I should say that looking through it, there was like obviously some pretty risque content. <laughs> yeah, you shouldn't have been reading that back then for sure. <laughs> As like a 12-year-old, 15-year-old kid, they had articles like how to make LSD and just like weird stuff that children but that was their deal they wanted to be controversial and they wanted to they didn't want censorship and it's funny when flint bought the magazine they started to get censored a lot more and flint wanted them to like you know you saw in the documentary i'm sure like wanted mm-hmm. them to wear like ties or something and they're like nope you know what's been interesting is kind of the uh domestication of skateboarding over the years yeah yeah it used to be like you were kind of an outcast or a loser or whatever it was if you skated now, you're like, I guess the cool kid, maybe. I don't know. I mean, it wasn't like that bad. I feel like we were pretty cool at some point, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. It's weird. So I talk about kind of like the old days on the podcast just because, you know, that's where I came from. Yeah. And if I can connect to a guest that way, it's it's always just kind of fun reminiscing. But I guarantee, just because this is the nature of generations and people and humanity, is the new generation that's ahead of us, they'll be talking about how gnarly they were because it will be, the world will have become more tame. Oh, yeah. You know, that's just the nature of it, right? Like when we look at our parents, we're like, oh my gosh. Like my Uncle Jay gave me uh, this VHS a while back and it's an hour of this footage that he brought in from a, a bunch of different sources like that he had filmed. And so it's like... The early 90s of him and my dad driving to Alieska and snowboarding in Alieska and then also going to Valdez and snowboarding there and then like camping there. And there's this one scene where my dad gets out of his tent and, uh, you know, has like a 44 in his hand, you know, and it's like, it's <laughs> yeah, it's just, and they're going to go, you know, they're going to go target shooting on the side of this mountain. Right. And that was just totally normal. Casually, you know, it's like yeah. those. Yeah. Super casual. Um. <laughs> So, you know, if you take it like their parents or their grandparents, it was just even more Wild West, you know, until you actually reach the actual Wild West. Dang, I want to see that footage. You know what? Actually, I can send it to you because I have a digital copy of it. Dude, hit me with yeah. it. Yeah, I will. Sick. Okay, so uh, kind of moving on. I asked the crude Instagram followers what they'd ask you. And I think Blue and Gold's question goes well here and blue and gold 
is Jason Borgstead's snow and skate shop in Anchorage, by the way. Yeah, I know. It's the homie. Yeah, what's up, Borg? So he asks, why do you feel you didn't blow up in skating? Uh, your skill far outran your status. Oh, dang. I blew up. What are you talking about, Jason? Better get off. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that is a, a really huge compliment. I appreciate that, Jason. Thank you for that. Uh, I don't I don't even know how to answer that. Uh, I felt like I did all right, you know? You only have a, a small window unless you're like Superman. So I felt like I had a good dose of it. And now, I don't know. I can look back pretty fondly, but... How do I answer that? I don't know. I wonder if, because I've thought a lot about this for myself, not about you. <laughs> I'm like, I've really thought about you, Mike. <laughs> about slot, like, why you did... <laughs> um, well, with me, I think that I had a short attention span when it came to snowboarding. I, I really enjoyed it. And I excelled in the things that I really paid attention to. But at a certain point, I realized, uh, you know, now in hindsight, I realized that I was way more interested in very like solitary things like reading and, you know, like writing stuff down and, you know, watching movies and documentaries and things like that. So that's that's where my mind was more occupied. And so I really, really liked the filming aspect of it. And I really liked the editing aspect of it as well, to the point where it's so much a part of me, the editing aspect, uh, as far as like editing snowboarding stuff that when I'm driving, when I'm driving and I'll see like a rail or whatever, I could be walking down a set of stairs. Like I'm literally editing in my head. Like I'm editing a part. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. And it's like just second nature to the point where I'm like, oh, that would be sick there. And, and I'll be listening to music. I'm like, oh, this is a song that it could go to. And yeah, yeah. you know, it, so it's just inborn at that point. And so I think all that to say that I don't know if this is helping jog your memory or kind of like helping you workshop an answer, but what I eventually realized about my time spent in snowboarding is that I I find a lot of solace in like how far I went with how generally uninterested (laughs) in it I was. Not saying, not saying, because I loved the camaraderie. I loved all of that, all of the kind of like the other aspects of it I loved and I still loved snowboarding but not enough to continue doing it having been born in it and then you know having kind of left it at 17 18 years old I was like I think that's enough I think I'm I'm comfortable with that yeah well did you who was your like main sponsor was it world so it was world industries and dub and then Solomon and bonfire so Solomon how did how did your relationship end with that? It ended actually like I always grew up understanding how people's relationships with their sponsors ends. And that is you just don't get a call back. Mm-hmm. That's it. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so that that's how it ended for me. But I saw it coming, you know, because I was I had moved back to Alaska. Yeah. I wasn't living in Tahoe or Mammoth anymore, like doing this thing like super consistently. And when you're down in those places, like you're among it, you know? Yeah. Rather than being kind of annexed from the rest of the world in Alaska. (laughs) (laughs) And so I I saw it coming, but um, I was fine with it. Yeah. So I feel like 
on a similar note to that. So at that point, you could have done you could have done something about it. You could have been like, "No, I'm not letting this go. I need to go chase this. I need to go blow up, move back to Mammoth, get in all the magazines." Like you could have pursued it and and chosen that path. Mm-hmm. In that same sense, I think I was similar. Where when the sponsors end and all of a sudden you're not getting paid, I was just like, "Okay, I'm okay with this." It's time to move on. I'm not quite sure what I wanted to do at that point, but all within like probably a year, like one sponsor was like, oh, oh, we're pulling the plug. There's, you know, a couple thousand a month you're not getting. And another sponsor is like, we're pulling the plug, a couple thousand more you're not getting a month. Another sponsor, you know, so all of a sudden I have no income. But instead of being like, I refuse to, to give up and let me go charge it and, and make the best of this. I was like, I'm okay with it. I've had a good run. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm just going to skate and skate because I love it and not worry about doing it for a living anymore. Mm-hmm. So kind of the similar to you, I think I just kind of was like, all right, I'm good. You know, you still love to snowboard. I'm sure you did at that time too. But like at some point, I just kind of was like, all right, skating for a living, that's done. Let's figure something else out. But still, I still love skating, you know. Mm-hmm. So I, as far as I guess to answer his question, maybe I just was was done and that's why i didn't blow up more i don't know (laughs) i think that's a great answer i mean because i think i think it's a it's a truthful answer that i understand because you lived that too and it could be the same with you i'm not sure but let's see one of the most important things for me that gave me this uh kind of sense of clarity and like i was i was okay with all of it was i saw the kids my age at the top tier, right? I saw their life. I knew a lot of them as either friends or acquaintances, and I didn't want to be them, you know? So it kind of gave me this like weird glimpse into the future where I was like, ah, I'm, I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be that person because if I, if I struggle and I keep doing the thing, I'm going to be that person. And so I made a conscious decision to be like, oh, I don't, I don't want to do yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's weird. It's an interesting question coming from I, – I think he, Jason meant that that question to me as a compliment. And oh, I absolutely. It, yeah. I, I really appreciate him saying that because that's amazing and I have a lot of respect for him. But he, I'm sure, went through a similar thing where he could have given it another like, oh, let me go hard for a minute, blow up more or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he, he made the decision. He's like, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to, you know. I don't know. <laughs> well, I think it's kind of fun to think about. You know, I again for me, I, I was I was comfortable with the things that I'd accomplished. You know, and I guess putting it back on you is like you got the cover shot. You hit those spots first, which is similar to like having a first ascent in snowboarding. You know, you pioneered these these areas, and you you got a taste of doing all that stuff. So I just didn't want to chase that forever. I guess is is what it really comes down to. Yeah. But I had, I had some fun doing it. Okay, so this is this is going to be my last line of questioning. The lightning round. The lightning round, dude. <laughs> you ready you for it? You got to answer within one second. <laughs> yeah, that's all you get. Yeah, or else it just shuts off. Okay, so um, something I've always appreciated about you is that you've always done your own thing. You've always been really good at being an individual. And I feel like there's a point in getting older when most people decide it's time to get a traditional job. Like, what motivated you to keep doing your own thing? 
I guess like anybody, I just want to do what I want to do. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's kind of weird to say out loud because who doesn't want to do what they want to do? You know what I mean? Um, and I've just been fortunate and I guess met the right people or whatever. And, you know, there's been struggles along the way, but if you, if you want to do something, just go for it, you know? Well, I think it also takes a certain amount of like stubbornness, you know, like you're only giving yourself, like you only have a plan A, you know, and you're going to, you're going to make that work. And I think the older you get, again, I'm speaking from personal experience, the older you get, the longer you spend doing whatever that one thing is. Yeah. And so when you look on your resume and, you know, which is kind of the, the thing that gets you jobs, right, is, is your past experience and your past work. And you look at that resume and you're like, oh, crap, like, I only have one thing on here, basically, you know? Yeah, yeah, and so I, I, Yeah, uh-oh. <laughs> like, I can't, I, there, there's like only one thing I can do in this world. Yeah, bringing it back to the skateboarding thing. When I was done skateboarding, I could look back and be like, ah, I did all these video parts, magazines, this and that. But like, when it came to getting like a real job, I had nothing. I had no education. I had no job experience. And I'm in my like mid twenties, maybe late, maybe. And with just nothing, all of a sudden, I was like, oh no, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> I have one thing on my resume, and no one gives a crap about it. So that was a that was a scary realization <laughs> that I feel like a lot of people in that industry go through. What was your experience like with that? It was kind of rocky for a while, I guess. But then I just kind of fell back into what I've been doing all along is just been filming and editing, documenting what's happening around me, you know? Because mm-hmm. but at first I was like, I don't know what to do. Like I didn't have a video camera. I didn't even think of that. I was just like I'm not skating anymore for a living. I, I was still doing it. It's like hard as I could, but I was like, oh no. But then, yeah, like I just kind of fell back into like filming. Like that's always what I've loved to do since as long as I can remember. How did you fall back into it? Um, Mainly it was my good buddy, Jimmy hit me up out of the blue and it was like, Hey, let's start a skateboard company. And I was like, of course, let's do this. You know? And he, and he's like, all right, we're going to make this company and and it's going to be fun and just whatever we want, we'll just do it. And uh, and then I just started getting back into film because, well, we were going on these road trips. We don't have a filmer. We didn't have like, I didn't want to hire a filmer. So I'm doing the ads. I'm doing the filming. I'm building a website. I'm screen printing the t-shirt. I just learned everything. And from that, I just like got back into it and he bought all these fancy cameras I would just shoot all the time and just got deeper into it. And, you know, we would do like a video or two videos a week or something crazy. Because at first we were going to advertise in magazines for this brand. And that was like, okay, $10,000 a page. Mm -hmm. But that money I felt it could be, we both felt could be used a lot better to just do like kind of guerrilla advertising almost where we just film YouTube videos and share them and put everybody in them that was around us. And then we just grew like a little following from that. And I think the money was better spent that way. And then it got me back in the filming mode, you know what I mean? In photography, Mm -hmm. you know, I'd be going on skate tours and I'd film more than I skated and I was okay with it. You know, even before when I was still skating for a living, 
I'd go on skate tours. I'd bring my VX one thousand. If I didn't like spot, I'd film or whatever. You know what I mean? Like I've always been into it. So, but that's really what kickstarted it. Is like my buddy Jimmy. He's like, start this brand. <laughs> and you were in charge of the media aspect of it. Yep. And so, how did that branch off into your other projects? I know that you you filmed like motocross for a while, right? Yep. And, yeah. And then and then now it looks like you're doing uh, like wedding kind of photography and filming. I do weddings once in a while, pretty rarely. I like it though. I like shooting weddings, but I don't really do that much. Okay. But I'll shoot like docu-series stuff and any commercially stuff. Pretty much whatever I can get my hands on. I like it all. You end up shooting like someone riding a horse one day all of a sudden. I'm like, why am I shooting horseback riding? You just never know. It's so weird. <laughs> Same with you. I'm sure you're like interviewing somebody about the, some like someone who was like in the Gulf War, for example. Like how you know what I mean? All of a sudden you're talking about that. It's crazy. You just never know. Yeah. When you're in this field. So going off of that comparison, if I'm interviewing somebody, say, um, about being in the military, right? So I, I do a lot of research beforehand. Do you do a similar thing where if you know you're going to have to go shoot horseback riding, are you looking at YouTube videos and looking at like, you know, frames per second and things like that? No, not at all. Actually, it's, I'm more just going into it because a lot of time if you're shooting doc style, you, you just want to learn on the camera. You want to, to show the on the camera, like horseback riding is about, you know, being tiny or, or whatever you know what i mean <laughs> is that what you learn think, that's what i learned you're supposed to be tiny <laughs> if you're not you're gonna hurt the horse i don't know <laughs> no that's not that's not real i just threw that out there but like i'm trying for for my audience to learn so i'm just learning too i'm like you know i'm gonna ask them a question i'm gonna say hey tell me about horse, horseback riding and i want to show that on film or whatever and and yeah i'm gonna show it on film <laughs> and are you doing the interviews as well uh depends on the shoot sometimes if it's a really small shoot yeah i'll do the interview and shoot it or whatever but on bigger shoots you're just you're just doing one specific job what's something recently that you're proud of hmm um I just worked on a show called Guitar Hunters, and we like tried to find the most interesting guitars or whatever. I haven't seen the final product, but that was I think it's gonna be a good show. Um, and right now I'm actually with my lady. She has we're working on these hospital videos for the John Wayne Cancer Institute in Santa Monica. Okay. And um, we're doing like doctor profiles and like overall video profiles for these hospitals and. I guess I'm proud of those because they're helping people. Mm -hmm. So if someone goes, they're like, I think I might have cancer. And they go on the website and they'll see a video that talks about the, these institutions where they can go and get treatment and help and everything. And it's, it's really cool. Really proud of that because I can help people through video. I feel like, you know, what's interesting about that is in the course of this conversation, we've come from you filming Kids punching each other. <laughs> Get them, Billy. <laughs> Obviously, you know, as a, a more uh, callow youth to now, you know, you're an adult and you're looking at 
these videos for, you know, the Cancer Institute or the John Wayne, what is it? Yeah, John Wayne Cancer Institute. You're looking at those as this like piece of media that you're proud of because of the fact that it's helping people. Yeah. I mean, you've come a long way, Micah. You know, what's funny is you're really good at interviewing people because you seamlessly started out at like the early parts of, of my life. And then now here we are at present day, but without even really thinking about it, that's good. Well, I take notes. Well, I appreciate it. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I've been appreciating in this conversation is you throwing questions back at me. And then all of a sudden, I have to answer them. <laughs> hey, we're just talking, right? Yeah, it is. No, it's a this. You know what's <laughs> what's really fun about doing these each week is that every single one is so much different. And what I've noticed is that people who are more involved in the media, like say for yourself, where you do on occasion do interviews, but probably more often than not, like you're at least among the interview, you know, you, you have some like proximity to the interview. And so your natural inclination is to ask questions, even though you're the subject of, you know, this interview. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. No, it's, it's very cool. It's like this little, um, I mean, for me, it's like, like human psychology, right? So if I'm interviewing somebody, say like my dad or my uncle Jay or Ben Bogart or whatever, they're, they're more used to being interviewed rather than interviewing. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I just feel it. It's not even a conscious thing for me. I'm just like, like we're having a conversation. I want to know. I'm not just waiting for you to ask me. Yeah. Bring it on. Like talk about me more. Like I want to know about you, like what's going on with you and you know, your experiences because it's, relevant to the conversation, you know? What would you ask me? I'm giving you a, an opportunity to ask me anything. I know you're not going to answer it, but who was the worst interview you ever did? Oh, uh, actually, I'll, I will answer that. It, it, wasn't, yeah? it wasn't on a podcast, actually. Okay. It was a prostitute. Um, Dude. I, yeah, I was interviewing. Um, I, I was, I did this this kind of long form journalism piece, investigative piece for the Anchorage Press back in maybe 2017 uh, when the editor of the Anchorage Press was Susie Buchanan. Uh, I was given a phone number to this prostitute and I was interviewing her before I had to go to work. I remember I was sitting at my kitchen table. I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this interview really quick. I only need to ask a few questions. And I had talked to uh, my friend Susie at the press, who I think had interviewed her previously, and she's like, yeah, you know, just kind of gave me this, this, like, this is the type of person she is. She's cool. You know, she's good to answer your questions. And so I kind of went into it, and I don't know lingo, like pimp lingo and what's offensive and what's not <laughs> offensive. <laughs> so it wasn't bad on her part. It was bad because... I accidentally came to the interview unprepared. And I remember asking about her being groomed as a a prostitute. And that is like a super offensive, right? Because what that that means that a pimp has groomed a prostitute to be a prostitute, right? It's like the whole the whole relationship is so dysfunctional and terrible between a prostitute and a pimp. And just 
the whole thing is just really nasty. And to, there's just certain terms you don't use, you know, without being offensive. And I accidentally was offensive. That's what I'm getting to. I was accidentally offensive to this person who I was interviewing. And I think about it all the time. You really? know, I was like, I, yeah, yeah. It, it still kind of messes with me because it was my fault, you know? But where do you do research for something like that? Like you can't like Google prostitute and it's like, here's the proper etiquette and the lingo. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's just something you have to learn by experience. Yeah. And you just learned it the hard way, I guess. Yeah. That's interesting. But for the record, she was, she was really great. She answered my questions and uh, she was super helpful and continued to stay on the phone with me, even though I accidentally offended her. Wow. Yeah. Did the article um, run? Yeah, yeah. It's it's you can still find it. It's uh it's on the Anchorage Press website. Let's see. The article's called "A Victim Until You're Not." A victim until you're not. I'm just surprised that she talked to you and it's like, yeah, this is what I do because she could just in trouble pretty easily, right? I mean, I don't know to what extent the law like protects prostitutes from talking about being a prostitute I'll, i'm gonna read it later that's crazy all right well dude uh do you have anything else you'd like to add um no not really well how would you like to close this out mm, uh, that's, that's a lot of pressure cody well do you want to sing another song <laughs> <laughs> how about we just do this Let's try to do the first song again. Okay. But you try to get through it because I was doing a pretty good job. Dude, I'm terrible. Okay. <clears throat> All right. So this is how we're going to end this episode. You ready? All right. Okay. Three, two, one. We wish we you a Merry <laughs> Christmas. <laughs> we wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. Christmas and, and a Happy, happy New Year. year. Perfect. All right, buddy. All Talk right, to you soon. Dude, take it easy. Take care. For more information about how you can support local grassroots journalism, go to www.patreon.com slash crude magazine. Crude Conversations is written, hosted, and produced by me, Cody Liska, for Crude Magazine. Music was produced by Alcoda Beats.